0: There's a short story by Ernest Hemingway which begins with the account of a father and a son who have fallen out with each other and become estranged. Now the son is called Paco and he has run away and his father is desperate to get him back again and at one point in his desperation he puts an advert in the local Madrid newspaper and the advert simply says, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. Papa. And the story goes, when Saturday came, the police force had to be called because hundreds of young men called Paco turned up looking for the promised forgiveness from their fathers. It's a powerful idea, isn't it? Forgiveness. Uh, the psychiatrist Carl Menninger once said that uh, if the patients in psychiatric hospitals could be convinced that their sins were forgiven, then more than half of them would be able to walk out the next day. Um, I don't know about that, uh, but it's a hugely powerful idea, and it's one which is right at the heart, of course, of the Christian faith. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray for forgiveness, and he taught us to be ready to offer it to others too. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Our sins, of course, are those things that we have done, said, and thought. Uh, and those things, I guess, which we haven't done and should have done, which are not right. Uh, In the older version, we say, forgive us our trespasses, that idea of having crossed a line, of having stepped on ground where we shouldn't have gone. And as we hear there in Matthew 18, forgive us our debts, that sense that we owe something because of what we've done and it needs dealing with. And so we've got this story in Matthew 18 that Jesus tells, and it's a story with a very simple message, simple to understand, that is, but of course much more difficult and challenging to put into practice. Now the message is this, since God has forgiven our huge debt to him, then so we should forgive the relatively small debts that we hold against other people. Because God has forgiven our massive debt. We should be ready to hold out that forgiveness to those around us. So verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Well, apparently it was commonly taught in those days that you should forgive someone who has wronged you three times. But if they do it a fourth time, then you don't need to forgive them again. So I guess Peter is moving in the right direction here, isn't he? He has learned something from Jesus. He more than doubles three and comes up with seven. Um, He's understood that forgiveness is an important thing in Jesus' kingdom. Uh, Not retaliation, not seeking revenge. But surely Peter still thinks there's got to be a limit, hasn't there? Maybe seven times? But no, says Jesus in verse 22. Uh, not seven times, 77 times. Or um, it may be that it, what Jesus was saying was 70 times seven times, 490. Uh, in other words, far too many times to keep track. You know, if, if you're counting and thinking, is it 33 or 34 times that I've forgiven him for what he did? If you're still counting, then you probably haven't forgiven him at all. You're just postponing revenge and Jesus says 70 times 7 times. That's his way of saying don't keep counting, just keep forgiving. I wonder how you feel about this, this part of the Lord's Prayer which we know so well. Maybe you're already thinking of someone who has wronged you this morning and how hard it is to forgive that. My guess is that Peter was probably thinking the same. And one of the reasons we struggle to get our heads around the idea of forgiveness without limit is that we don't appreciate fully just how much we've been forgiven ourselves. And so Jesus tells this story. Therefore, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Um, It's a great story. Uh, Here is this king, and a man is brought into him who owes him 10,000 talents. Uh, We're not told how he ran up this massive debt, but he owes the king this money. It's all legal. The king has every right to call in the debt. He's not being unjust, but of course it's an astronomical amount of money. Um, If you look at the the footnote, which may be there in your Bible, uh, one talent was 20 years' wages for a normal labourer. This man owes 10,000 talents. It's, It's millions and millions in today's money. And the man can't pay. And as a result, uh, he and his family will be sold into slavery. Um, Rough justice, maybe, but a kind of justice all the same. That's how things worked in the ancient world. This is not Jesus making a kind of comment on slavery one way or the other. It's just the time when the story was set. And so at this point, well, everything is lost for that servant, isn't it? Uh, If he gets justice, well, that's no use to him at all. What he needs now is mercy. It's his only hope. And so he falls on his knees and he begs for more time, as if getting a bit more time is going to make any difference with a debt this size. But the king is deeply moved by his pleas. We're told he took pity on the man and he cancels the debt imagine for a moment how that feels imagine getting a letter from your bank tomorrow morning saying that they've decided to write off your mortgage that you don't owe anything anymore uh, that it's cancelled and dealt with and the house is yours how would that feel some of you can probably imagine how amazing that would be and then multiply it a few times and we might appreciate just what has been done for this man in the presence of the king his debt is cancelled it's been forgiven And that is Jesus' picture of what his kingdom is like. He's the king who has come to write off debts. The size of our debt to God because we have rejected him or resisted him, maybe just ignored him, is enormous. It's Way bigger than we realize. But his mercy and love is way bigger still. It's beyond our wildest dreams. If you don't think that your debt to God is big, then you probably won't think that the cross is that amazing. Won't think it's that amazing what Jesus has done for you. Um, That is a struggle for some people. And Jesus reminds us here that debts inevitably have to be called in at some point. That's how it works. And if we're left to face justice on our own, that's a terrible thing. Meanwhile, there may be others of you who know your sins and trespasses all too well. Maybe they feel like a great weight around your neck, and and you actually wonder whether God really can forgive you uh, for the things that you have done. And to you, Jesus says, look at this king. Look at the size of his mercy. And that is just a glimpse of the love and the mercy of God. Because Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. He's describing a place of mercy. He is saying, I have loved you and I forgive you. That's what I've come to do, to restore you. And I hope you've heard his voice saying that to you. That is what he says to all of us. That's why by this time in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has begun to make it clear that he is making his way to Jerusalem. He's going to die. He's going to die on the cross so that when justice is served, it doesn't fall on me or on you. It falls on him, and in its place, he is the king who offers us mercy. Father, forgive them, he prays on the way to the cross, for they know not what they are doing. And that's why what happens next in our story in Matthew 18 is just so terrible, isn't it? Uh, This man has just been forgiven. I don't know, 2,000 years wages, it's something like that if you add it up. But it seems to have done nothing for him, made no difference. And even on his way out from meeting the king, he comes across one of his fellow servants, a colleague who owes him a few quid. It's a bit more than a, than a few quid. It's a, a, a significant amount, but it's really nothing compared to the amount that has just been dealt with by the king. But he wants it back now, doesn't he? There is no forgiveness whatsoever. Uh, he's learned nothing from his master at all. That's clear. This man who has who's just received mercy in its place just wants to dole out justice hard and cold. And we're told, not surprisingly, that the other servants who hear what has happened are distressed by this. And so they go into the king and the first servant is then hauled back in again and thrown into jail until he can pay his debts. And Jesus says in verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Sometimes people read that and think, well, isn't that a bit harsh? Why does Jesus have to say stuff like that? Why does he say that those who refuse to forgive will themselves be refused forgiveness? If God is loving, well, can't he just forgive anyway?" Of course, actually, forgiveness doesn't work like that, does it? We do know that deep down. Uh, If you've ever tried to forgive someone who has hurt you or wronged you in some way, then you will know that forgiveness is not free. It's costly. Either you can get them back and make them uh, pay the price for themselves for what they've done. Or you can decide not to seek revenge, and that's painful. It's hard. It often hurts. And you feel the cost of that for yourself. Jesus knows exactly what it's going to cost him to offer forgiveness to each one of us. And so his message here is not that God won't forgive us until he's checked whether we're doing, any well, uh, doing very well at forgiving others. It's just that forgiveness doesn't work like that. Uh, Bishop Tom Wright compares forgiveness as being like the air in our lungs. Uh, You can't breathe in the next lungful until you've breathed out the last one. If you receive forgiveness in your spiritual lungs, but then withhold it, refuse to to share it with others, refuse to share that kiss of life with those around us, uh, then you end up suffocating fairly quickly by insisting on holding your breath. In the kingdom of God, we need spiritual lungs that are open that can receive forgiveness from the God who loves us and are ready to share it with those around us. And of course the power of this story is that it reminds us that we're not in any position to point the finger anyway when we remember the size of our own debts to God. Uh, John Wesley, the uh, founder of the Methodist Church, uh, there's a story of him pleading once with an officer who was refusing to forgive one of his soldiers for something that he had done. The officer said to Wesley, I never forgive. And Wesley apparently responded to him and said, Then, sir, I hope you never sin. The writer C.S. Lewis said that to be a Christian is to learn to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the excusable in us. So this is not about whether people should be prosecuted for crimes that they've committed. Of course they should. The Bible is clear about that. That's a different thing. This is about what we do in our hearts in response to the mercy that God has poured out on us. Because every time you accuse someone, you also accuse yourself. But every time you forgive someone else, it is like passing on a drop of water from the bucket of mercy that we have received from God and sharing that fresh, cool drink. The God who gives us mercy when we deserve justice. So, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, This is hard, isn't it? And it's especially hard for those of us who may carry serious hurts. And I want to say Please don't think I'm suggesting in any way that this is easy or that forgiveness is cheap. It's not. Real forgiveness is often a long process. It's complicated. It's difficult. It's painful. And we might say that what Jesus is asking for here is a direction of travel, a trajectory. We may not get there quickly, but in Jesus' kingdom, we never give up making forgiveness and reconciliation our goal, a place where we are heading. Instead of looking for revenge. Should I forgive my brother or sister seven times, Jesus? No, 77 times. Just keep on forgiving. So what is your response to this this morning? As we think about prayer and as we think about praying for forgiveness. Maybe there is something you need to pray. Maybe there's a conversation you need to have with someone. Maybe you just need to thank God again and spend some time praising him, having been reminded in this parable of the sheer size of his mercy and love for you. Maybe you've realized again, maybe even for the first time, that you just need to come on your knees before God and ask for his forgiveness for things which are still there in your life, to acknowledge your need of his mercy. Or maybe Jesus' story just makes you think of that person that you haven't managed to forgive for whatever reason and it's hard and you need to ask for God's help and he can help because look how much he loves you so we're going to have a song once again now Uh, as we listen to this song you may like to join in and praise the Lord you may like to use the time to pray to God for some of these things a song which reminds us that our sins they are many but his mercy is more. Amen.